Okay, Bokir Tov, good morning. I hope everyone is having a meaningful fast thus far. I will uh, remind you that uh, today, Asura Beteves, we fast. As I said this past Shabbos, the most popularly known reason is because Nebuchadnezzar, the evil, wicked Babylonian general, laid siege around Yerushalayim, a process that began the uh, period, or began ultimately the destruction of the first place on Mikdash. And of course we fast today as part of the recognition of that khurban, of that destruction, that calamity, and the consequences that we continue to reel from today. Whether well, there's a Sefer Beis Yishai, it's quoted by Rabbi Baruch Simon in a Sefer Imre Baruch, who points out, based on uh, hints and allusions and a tradition, that Asar Beteves, the 10th of Teves today, is also the day on the calendar when the brothers threw Yosef in the pit. So therefore... When we fast today, when we abstain from eating and drinking and physical pleasure and indulgence, it's not punitive, it's not to punish ourselves, but it is to try to, instead of being focused on physical, to be focused on the spiritual. And the spiritual pursuit, the avoda of today, of Asar Beteves, is to work on the antidote to the behavior of the brothers. The brothers through Yosef in the pit, which was an expression of hatred, jealousy, animosity, judgmentalness, and tolerance, then we atone, we repair the damage they did by spending Asara Beteves, ridding any hatred from our hearts, from our speech, from our behavior, and instead replacing it only with love and kindness and warmth and, I would say tolerance, but I already told you why I hate that word, but replacing it with all of the, uh, the positive things, loyalty and dedication and devotion that we are supposed to feel towards one another. Okay, this week, Parshas Vayechi. Do you want to slide, slide the Machitza over? Hold on one second. Okay. So, uh, this week we study Parshas Vayechi, the culmination of the incredible story of the book of Bereshis. Bereshis is the book of the formation of a family. That is what the book of Bereshis is about, and that's why it concludes with the 70 members of this family descending to Egypt. And Bereshis is all about the roller coaster, the ups and downs of what it means to form a family. Sibling rivalry, struggle among the parents, even perhaps marital conflict, division in a family. Sefer Bereshis is the book, it's really a remarkable thing when you think about it. In other religions, the... Uh, the matriarchs, patriarchs of the religion are perfect. They're beyond reproach. In our religion, the book of Bereshis is a book of dysfunction. It's a book of challenges. And it's a precedent for us. It makes our avos and imaos utterly relatable. Because they overcame the obstacles and to emerge to be the people that they were who continue to inspire us until this very day. So if you have to summarize, say, for Bereshis... As we study Parshas Vayechi, the summary of Bereshis is what it means to give birth to a family. The beginning of a family. The ups and downs of a family. Turning dysfunction into functionality. The next Sefer we begin, Shemos, is about not the birth of a family, but it's about the birth of a, of a nation, of a people. How they went to Egypt as a family, and they came out of Egypt as a nation. And what it means to be a nation. What defines a nation. And what is a nation? And then we continue, Vayikra, we uh, interrupt in order to study the laws, Torah's Kohanim, the laws of the priests and the Beis HaMikdash. But in Bamidbar we pick it up. So if Bereshis is the birth and the evolution of a family, and Shmos is the birth and development of a people, Bamidbar is the story of that people in their adolescence. And how is adolescence defined? What is Bamidbar about? complaining, it's not fair to me, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm tired, you don't do enough, I want more. But Midbar is about adolescence, it's about their growth, learning to live with one another, and Dvarim, which is Moshe's final charge to the Jewish people, and then they're ready. By the end, that's a two-minute summary of the five books of Moshe. <laughs> right? Beresh is the birth of a family, Shmos the birth of a nation, Bamidbar the adolescence of that nation, and Dvarim the charge and mandate to that nation. And now we're ready for the book of Yoshua. We're now a mature, sophisticated nation who are responsible, are now ready and able to enter the land and to set up 
the people and the vision that the Ribbon Shalom intended for them. So here at Vayechi, at the end of Sefer Bracious, we are concluding the section that tells us of the birth of a family. What does it mean to be a family? And Bracious is really all about a fractured family, a fragmented family. How in every generation, a member of the family is expelled and exiled and kicked out. And now at the end of Vayechi, it ostensibly at least ends with harmony and peace, with brotherhood and with love. But does it really? I know we always summarize the Parsha before we analyze the Psukim. We're going to do a reverse summary. Because at the end of the Parsha of Vayechi, really closing the entire book of Bracious is the story of Yaakov's death. Well, actually, let's start from the beginning. Never mind. I don't know about you, it'll confuse me to go backwards. So we might as well go forwards. Vayechi, <coughs> Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim 17 years. And the Pasuk has a funny uh, kind of language. It describes... The days of Yaakov were the years of his life. So which were they? Were they days or were they years? Avram Avinu is described the same way. The days of the years of his life. So which is it? Are they days or are they years? I had the privilege yesterday of speaking, to this moment I'm not exactly sure why, but I had the honor of speaking to an amazing virtual assembly. Yesterday morning, 40 yeshiva high schools around the United States, around North America, virtually assembled. What I mean virtually? I mean each school independently assembled their student body, and then through the miracle of technology, they were all together in a room. So that each school had a screen, and the screen had the multiple screens on it, and you saw the assemblies of all the schools together, and together they observed the shloshim of Ezra Schwartz, Hashem Yikam Damo, and these schools had all participated in learning Shisha Sidre Mishnah, and so they gathered to make a Siyam Ashas in Ezra's memory. And it's an amazing thing, technology. This is, you know, technology is a double-edged sword, but to me, yesterday, was seeing technology as its best, its ability to create achtus and assemble people together. Thousands and thousands of young people were virtually assembled as... I don't even know who was the producer who ran this, but the screen flipped. A boy in Chicago read a Mishnah, and then one in L.A., and then one in New York, and then someone in Boca. It was amazing. Rabbi Gott Juden spoke. He's the, the head of Ashrenu, where Ezra Schwartz was learning. And Ezra's mother spoke. And Rabbanit Hankin shared a few words. And uh, Eitan Katz, the great musician, led singing for the students virtually everywhere. And for a reason, as I say, I'm still not sure exactly why, I was honored to be asked to share a few words. So I asked the young people, the thousands of students, this exact question. Why is Yaakov's life referred to as Yimei Shnei? The days of the years. Which is it? Are they days or are they, or are they years? And I suggest an answer, which then last night I happened to find the same answer. I was very gratified to see that the Menachem Tzion, of Menachem Ben Tzion Zaks, the son-in-law of the Hartzvir, of Tzipesach Frank. He was a Rav in Chicago, Rav Menachem Ben Sion Zaks, and the grandfather of the Landis family, who are members of ours. So he says the same thing in his Sefer. What does it mean? Did Yaakov live for days or years? Avram is described the same way. We see a number of people in Tanakh described the same way. So is it days or is it years? So he says, you know, regular people count their lives in increments of years. Right? And the longer you live, the less you remember about years. You start to remember decades. The 80s, that was a good decade. Yeah, you remember decades. Maybe you're lucky if you remember years. Ah, oh, 84, that was a good year. Right? But the righteous, they live days. They live days. Because every day they're living to its fullest. And I told the, the people yesterday, um, the high school kids, children, young people, a, uh, a story. One of the Gera Rebbe's passed away. And at the cemetery, one of his sons said... To his brother, you know, at least our father had Arichas Yamin. So his brother looked at him incredulously. Arichas Yamin, our father died at a relatively young age. It's a tragic death. How could you possibly describe he had Arichas Yamin? Arichas Yamin usually is translated to mean longevity. He lived a long life. How could you say he lived a long life? He died a young man. To which his brother responded, I didn't say that he had Arichas Shamin. I said he had Arichos Yamim. Arichos Shalim is longevity. Arichos Yamim is living every day to its fullest. 
is living every day to its fullest. Yaakov is described as these are Yemei Yaakov, Shnei Chayav. These are the days of the years of his life. Because he didn't count his life in increments of years or decades. It was days. Every day was lived to its fullest. Every day was realizing his potential. And I said to these young high schoolers, I said, you know, when you're a young person, you think you're going to live forever. You think you're going to live forever. But you don't really know and you can't really control the years of your life. The arichas shanim. You don't know how long you'll live. What you can control is the yamim. How we live our days. Who we are and how we would want to be remembered. And I said to them, if God forbid they were the ones being remembered yesterday, what would they want said about them? We can't determine the beginning year or the end year. There's an amazing poem that I read to them called The Dash. If you've never read it, Google it later. But, uh, but check out The Dash. And The Dash is how you can't control the years on the ends, but what we can control is the dash that comes between on our tombstone. And so that's the message of Yemei Shnei, the days of the years of Yaakov's life, that he didn't count his life in increments of years, but every single day was lived to its absolute most. Every day was lived to its fullest. So Yaakov, though, anticipates that those years, those days, they're coming to an end. (coughs) They're coming to a close. He anticipates his demise, and he prepares for it. And by the way, in that way, he is a tremendous precedent for us. Last Sunday, we had the Women's Health and Halacha Day, and uh, I was part of a session that dealt with end-of-life issues, and I mentioned that from Yaakov we learn that we don't wait to die, and then what to do in our death becomes the next generation's problem. From Yaakov we learn how to prepare for death. And one of the greatest acts of kindness that you can do for your family, one of the great acts of love, as uncomfortable as it may be for you, is to organize everything for them. Let there be a notebook. Let there be an email. Let there be something where whoever needs to know finds where the cemetery plot is, where the funeral preparations are, where the bank accounts and the life insurance policy and the agents to talk to. And everything they would need to know is collected and organized in one place. If you love your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, as awkward or painful that might be, it is a great act of chesed and an act of love because I've been on the other end. I've been on the end when someone passes away and no one knows. And even in the midst of their grief, they have to try to find, rifling through paperwork and looking all over and trying to figure out were there arrangements, were there not arrangements, what did they want, we have no clue how they wanted things done. You could leave, the more you leave, the greater a gift that you are that you are leaving your children. And we elaborated on that last Sunday. I think it was recorded and probably will be... Um, will be put online. So Yaakov Avinu does that. And one of the things that he does is not just have a halachic living will and a halachic healthcare proxy, and it's not just that he takes care of those arrangements, but, but and by the way, this is, this is something that transcends age. It's not something you have to do when you're 70 or 80 years old. Young people need to begin to do these things, and frankly, they need to be taught by their parents or grandparents what they need. What point of life? You need life insurance and disability insurance. And when you need to have a will and trust. And when you need to indicate to someone, God forbid, who your children, if they're minors, should go to if something happens. This is our parsha. This is what Yaakov, the legacy he leaves us, is preparing in advance and leaving a charge and a mandate. And we need parents to teach their children how to do these things because this is not something you learn in school. And by the way, when you're teaching them all these things, you could also remind them that when they live in a community and attend the Kiddush and benefit and get an aliyah, they should join the shul they're attending. It's another generational thing where in past generations everyone knew if you live in a community, you join a shul. If you visited somewhere and you got an aliyah, you made a gift. Today, only young people, when they have a simcha, that's when they join the shul because they want it listed and they want the member rate on the bris for the room. We need to teach our children and grandchildren these responsible behaviors about how to live life, things that are not part of a curriculum in any stage of school, but exclusively remain the purview of the Mesora of Shalavicha, uh, you know, the parents have to be able to teach that. So what does Yaakov do in our Parsha? He gives not a ethical will, I'm sorry, not a living will, nor a will and trust. Yaakov gives an ethical will, a tzavah, which I would also include, by the way, in the package of what you are establishing for your children and grandchildren. What's a tzavah? 
It's who I am, what are my values, how I live my life, and what I expect and what I want, what I dream and what I aspire for you. That's what Yaakov does. And so Yaakov anticipates his own demise. He gathers his family. First, of course, he begins with his grandsons, Ephraim and Menashe. We all know this uh, story, that he takes Ephraim and Menashe, Lahavdil, a gazillion times over. It's like he, you know, he, he, remember he crosses his hands and seemingly he makes a mistake between who's the older one and the younger one. Like he crowned the wrong Mr. Universe. You know? And Yosef has to... Uh, and Yosef has to correct him. And Yosef says, Dad, you got it wrong. You announced the wrong winner. You got it wrong. Which one's older and which one's, and which one's younger? But Yaakov begins by giving a bracha to his grandsons, Menashe and Ephraim. And by the way, this is the bracha. And the Torah tells us that we will continue to bestow this bracha. What does the Torah say? The bracha Yaakov gave them was, Through you. Um, the Jewish people will name that will bless their children to be like you. And the Kachava, that's how we bless our children on Friday nights, on Erev Yom Kippur. That's the bracha that we give. And of course, the age old question is we had so many amazing options to choose from. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, and Aaron, David, and Shlomo. Oh, Why are we choosing Ephraim and Menashe? relatively anonymous, unknown personalities. We know so little about them. Of all of the patriarchs, of all of the personalities and personages to, to memorialize and to give a bracha to our children, why Ephraim and Menashe? So we've shared in the past the famous answers. One is, this is the first generation that gets along. Right? Um, Yitzchak and Yishmael, no. Yaakov and Esav, no. Yosef and his brothers, no. This is the first generation to get along. What is the ultimate bracha we can give our children Friday night every week? If nothing else, you should be loyal to one another. Love one another. Have devotion to one another. That's number one answer. Number two answer is, everyone else grew up under the tutelage and the watchful eye of one of the patriarchs. So, Yitzchak was raised by Avram and Yaakov was raised by Yitzchak and the Shvatim are raised by Yaakov. And Ephraim and Menashe, where are they raised? In Gullus. They're in Mitzrayim. They are in the epicenter. They're in the ground zero of impurity, decadence, and depravity, immorality, corruption. And yet, they retain their identity. So what's the bracha we give our children living in the foreign culture that we do with its influences that they should be like Ephraim and Menashe? So those are two old famous answers. I saw a new answer this year from Yaakov Weinberg Zatzal, Rosh Shiv of Yisrael. And he says the following. Every one of us as parents, we have dreams about the potential of our children. In fact, if you fast forward, that's exactly the brachos that Yaakov begins to give out. Yaakov, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, and Yehuda, he gives them brachos. But they're kind of funny brachos. Because in each bracha, they're really criticisms. Reuben, I thought you were going to be the Bechor. You didn't quite meet my expectation. Shimon, Levi, you are impetuous and impulsive and you really need to gain some self-control. Yehuda, and Yaakov goes down the line. You call that a bracha? That's a bracha? So the answer is, yeah, that's a bracha. What's the great bracha a parent gives a child is to identify the child's potential and help them realize it. So the greatest hope for a parent is to see the individual unique potential in every child and help them realize it. Said Rav Yaakov Weinberg, when it came to Ephraim and Menashe, did they realize their potential? They didn't just realize their potential, they surpassed it. And how do you know that? Because Yaakov says that Ephraim and Menashe Kerubin Bashimon Yuli. Ephraim and Menashe are in such an elevated status. Ephraim and Menashe are so great, they have surpassed their potential. They are not two generations removed, they are not further away. They are on the level of Ruben Bashimon Yuli. They have surpassed their potential. So says Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, when we give the bracha to our children to be like Ephraim and Menashe, it is a bracha that they become even greater than in our wildest dreams. That they surpass even the potential we thought we saw in them. 
that they accomplish and achieve and refine themselves to be people beyond our wildest expectations. And that's why that's why Dafka we blessed them to be like Ephraim and Menashe because they were over and this is such a Jewish Torah they were overachievers. We bless our children to be overachievers and to accomplish even more than we thought and that we dreamed. We then go through all of the brachos that Yaakov bestows Yaakov Avinu gathers everybody. He dies, although we have a tradition that he didn't really die. Yaakov Avinu Lomes, he died, his body died, but his spirit and his soul continued to live on. He's mourned by all of Mitzrayim. They perceived the blessings that they had was in the merit of this righteous individual, so they too mourn. Yosef gets permission from Paro to be able to go with his brothers to bury Yaakov. And then we have the Parsha ends and Sefer Bracious ends. So, you remember when we started a few minutes ago? I said to you that Bracious ostensibly ends with peace and harmony. It's come full circle. This family has finally found a sense of connection and, and being whole. But that's only on the surface. Because what happens on the way back from the funeral? The brothers turn to Yosef and they say, uh, Yosef, that reminds me. Dad wanted us to give you a message. He forgot, he didn't get a chance to tell you himself, but he asked us to tell you that after he dies, don't do anything to us. <laughs> don't take revenge, don't anything. Right? That's exactly, that's a little bit of a um, paraphrase, but it's pretty much exactly what the brothers say. Um, Yosef's brothers see their father died, and they say to him, Perhaps Yosef's going to have hatred against us and maybe he's going to pay us back. So they instruct Yosef and they say, Right, it's again interesting. Why not Avinu? Our father. It's Avicha, which actually parallels when Yosef revealed himself last week and he said, So here now the brothers are kind of paying it back to Yosef. You called him Avi? Avicha. Your father, remember the special relationship and the connection and your father, your father, Tziva Lefnei Maso, he gave us a message for you. Namely, Kosamul Yosef, Ana Sana Pesha Achecha Vechata Sam Kirag Malucha, Ah, let go. Let bygones be bygones. Forgive and forget. Move on. Don't pay it back. Okay. Yosef, then the pressure just continues. That was it. And Yosef tells them, don't worry. Have no fear. I never intended on harming you. Yosef lives out his years. They all die. Bracious comes to a close. So, does Bracious come to a close? Happy, joyful, finally peace. The family's been put back together. All is well and good? Maybe. On the surface it looks like it, right? The brothers tell Yosef, message from dad. Yosef says, good to go. Don't worry. We'd never lay a finger on you. And finally, we have an intact family. Says Rabbeinu Bahai in the 13th century Spain. No. No. What's really going on? You know that we have um, a tradition. The Medrash and Eicha Rabasi says that the brothers, the ten brothers who sold Yosef into slavery, never were accountable. They never were held accountable. And so the generations forward carried that accountability for what they did. So who paid the price ultimately? The Asara Haruge Malchus. We read on Tishabab, we read on Yom Kippur. One day we read it in, in an expression of mourning and grief. And the other day Yom Kippur we read it as part of Slichos, needing to repent and overcome the Sinas Chinam. So ask Rabbein Abachya. He says, I don't understand. If all is well and good, what happened? We just read the end of Sefer Bracious. They reconciled. They're good to go. Dad made us tell you, promise, don't hurt us, no problem, we'll lay a finger on you, good to go, love you, love you bro, all good to go, on. So what happened? If they reconciled, why are ten great rabbis in the period of the Romans, the second temple, why are they held responsible? They were not contemporaneous with one another, even though we read them as one story, but why were these rabbis tortured to death? Why were they punished for the sale of Yosef if... The brothers and Yosef made good. So says Rabbein Abachi in a famous comment, Elamai, what do you see? They did not in fact reconcile. On the surface, all was forgiven and forgotten. 
But just below the surface, the brothers didn't apologize appropriately, and Yosef didn't truly forgive them. Yosef did not truly forgive them. And maybe Yosef was ready to forgive them. Maybe, as we read in last week's Pasha, when he reveals himself, Yosef says, look, this was God's plan. It wasn't really you. I'm not holding you responsibly. It's all well and good. God somehow orchestrated all this was meant to be to fulfill my dreams. And when he said it, he meant it. And he meant that he was willing to let go. It would take time. But what tears the scab right off of his wound when the brothers suspect that after Yaakov dies, he might take revenge. And he says, really? Could I not have been more magnanimous? Could I not have been more generous? I didn't give you a hard time, not for one minute. I didn't punish you. I didn't hold it against you. Not for one second. And that's how you repay me? By being suspicious? By accusing me? Who do you think I'm like? Our great uncle? Our uncle? Who is their uncle? <coughs> Who's Yaakov's brother? Asaph. How did Asaph behave? What was Yaakov's life like? He violated his brother and then he was worried Asaph was going to come kill him. And there was fear after Yitzchak died. So Yosef says, really? That's who you think I am after all this? Says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, Yosef never truly forgave because the brothers never truly earned the forgiveness. And you learn from here a very powerful lesson I think I spoke about it one Yom Kippur, that, you know, the whole is not a Jewish tradition. We do not believe that forgiveness is, is achieved, is, is, uh, is deserving, just because you use the words, forgiveness has to be earned. It has to be earned. There has to be sincerity. There has to be what the Rambam describes, the process of an admission of what I did wrong, an acknowledgement of how it hurt you, a commitment not to do it again in the future. The brothers never provide that. They never provide it. And so Yosef can't truly forgive. You can say you forgive, and you can act as if you've forgiven. But to really forgive in your heart needs to be something which is earned. So it's kind of sad, it's really tragic, that Sefer Barishas comes to a close not in the way that we wish it would, at least according to Rabbeinu Bachia. But this carries itself forward. This hint of the hatred, of the animosity, of the conflict and tension with the brothers was never fully cleared. It never fully cleared. The virus is still in the system. Even at the end of Sefer Bracious, and the virus is still in the system, it continues to come out of the system. As Rav Sadan spoke about last Shabbos here, with Yerchavam and Yeravam, when the kingdom split, and the state of Israel is divided in two. It comes out when, throughout our history, we see uh, at the end of Sefer Shoftim, Pilegesh Begiva, the war, civil war between Binyamin and the other tribes. We see it come out and we see it come out today. We see it come out today. It's an amazing thing. We know today as a Jewish people that the only thing holding us back from the peace and security and redemption that we also desperately yearn, we know. We know exactly what's holding us back and yet... That does not give us the will to fix it. (laughs) Despite knowing what's holding us back, that baseless hatred, that judgmentalness, that conflict, that marginalizing one another, that intolerance for one another, we know exactly what is causing it. And yet, we claim to want to do something about it, but we don't. And because we don't, we remain in the same situation that we're in. In fact, Echsam Sofer says, Asar Bateves is the strictest in some ways of all of the fast days. Fasar Batavis that fell this way a couple years ago falls on a Friday. It's the only fast day that you fast on a Friday. It's a, you know, you might want to make kiddush on grape juice when you Asar Batavis falls on a Friday. It's the only fast. Why is it so strict? And says the Chassam Sofer because the first base of Mikdash was destroyed. It was Asar Batavis that the Gzar Din came from Shemayim. It was Asar Batavis that God concluded they're not deserving. I have to go through with this. And he pressed play, and he put in motion the plan of the siege that culminated in the destruction. So Asara Bateves every year, you know, we have a tradition, the Gemara says, Kodor, every generation when the Beis HaMikdash is not built, it means that had the Beis HaMikdash been existing in that generation, it would have been destroyed. So, when does God evaluate the generation? How they're behaving, how they treat one another, whether they deserve a Beis HaMikdash? When is that Gzar didn't come down? Asara Bateves. And that's why it says the Chassam Sofer, it's the strictest of the fast days. Because today, as we sit here right now, we are being evaluated. 
right? That virus that remained in the system through the end of Sefer Bracious, it's time to finally purge and heal and wipe out that virus and get it out from our midst. Okay, that's my little drusha for today. Let's get back to the parsha. So I want to study today in terms of the specific text is the bracha that Yaakov gives to Yosef. Each of the brachas that he gives to each of the sons is deserving of a uh, analysis, of a complete study. I want to look at the bracha specifically that he gives to Yosef. It's in the article Stone Chumash on page 280. Page 280 on the bottom. It's Parak Memtes Pasuk Chafbez, chapter 49, verse 22. And the Pasuk says the following, right? So here Yaakov is on his deathbed, surrounded by his sons, giving each of them a bracha that looks a little bit more like a patch than a bracha, but that's how you give a bracha. That you see the potential and you try to help your child achieve it, overachieve it, like Ephraim and Menashe. So what does Yaakov say to Yosef? And this language is very poetic. It's a little bit difficult. The Hebrew is a little bit difficult. So we'll go through it together. Yaakov turns to Yosef, his favorite. Right? A parent's not supposed to have favorites. But we know, because we know what the narrator tells us, that in many ways Yosef is the favorite, the chosen one. And what does Yaakov tell him? Bein poras Yosef, bein poras alei ayin. Banos tzada alei shur. Let's read through the whole thing, then we'll go through the Mephoshim. Ben Paras Yosef. What does that mean? You could use the Art Scrolls translation or you could use the translation here from the, I have here the Rav Chumash. It means, a charming son is Yosef. A charming son to the eye. Each of the women strode along to see him. The women climbed the heights in order to gaze at him. Vayimararuhu varobu. They embittered him. They became antagonists. They embittered him, they were numerous, and the archers were hostile to him. But his bow remained his bow remained impenetrable. And the rest of when they I'm sorry, his bow how does the article translate it? His bow was firmly emplaced and his arms were gilded. From the hands Midei Avir Yaakov, from the hands of the mighty power of Yaakov, Mishamroa Evan Yisrael. From there he shepherded the stone of Israel. Me'el Avicha Vayazreka, Vi'eshadai Vivarkeka, Birchoshamayim Me'al Birchos Tom Ravetzas Tachas, Birchoshadayim Barachim. That was from God of your father, and he will help you. With Shaddai, he will bless you with the blessings of heaven from above, blessings of the deep crouching below, blessings of the bosom and the womb. The blessing of your father surpassed the blessing of my parents. To the endless bounds of the world's hills. Let them be upon Yosef's head and upon the head of the exile from his brothers. Somewhat cryptic. It's a difficult language. What exactly is Yaakov getting at over here? It seems somewhat um, retrospective rather than prospective in terms of as a, as a bracha, as a blessing about the future. What exactly is going on here? What exactly is this bracha? So let's take it little by little. Ben Paras. What do those words mean? Ben Paras Yosef. There's an elementary school in New Jersey named for this Pasuk. Ben Paras Yosef. Says Rashi, Pasuk Chavbez. Ben Chain, Veloshan Arami, Apirion Nimtiel Rabbi Shimon Besof Bab Matziah. This is Aramaic, Ben Poras, and the word Poras is the Aramaic translation. We don't have an English one, so it's good we have an Aramaic one for the word Chain. What is Chain? Charm. Charm doesn't quite do it. In my experience, there is no good English. There's no proper, accurate English translation for Chain. Chain, chain. You can't, uh, you can't explain what chain is. You have it or you don't. And what the pasuk is telling us is, Yosef had it. Yosef had it in enormous, enormous measures. Ben Paras Yosef, Yosef had chain. He exuded that chain. There was a glow. There was a positive energy. There was a brightness to his spirit. He's Ben Paras Ale Ayin. He was charming in his personality. 
He's handsome to look at. So much so, said the Pasuk, that the women would climb the wall to get a look. Look at Rashi. Benos Tzada Aleishor. Benos Mitzrayim, the women of Egypt, they would climb the wall, the Histaka Biofya, to gaze at his appearance. Benos Harbeit Tzada Kolachas Vachas, Bemakam Shaduchaluros Bisham. Many women did this. Each one climbed wherever they could find space. Right? Like Lahavdil. A celebrity comes through town and everybody's pushing and crowding around and everybody's trying to get a, a selfie. So the women of Egypt were trying to get selfies with Yosef to put on their Facebook and Instagram. Yosef was this charming, handsome, powerful man who exuded confidence and who drew the attention of all, in particular, the young women of Egypt who would climb the wall in order to get, in order to be able to see him. That is... Rashi's interpretation. It's Rashi's interpretation. The Sforno quotes a different interpretation. Ben Poras Yosef. Look at the Sforno. Hine Yosef u ben Gefen Poras. Yosef is like a vine which is spreading, which is growing, which is blossoming. Anaf shall Gefen Poria. The, the leaves of the vine spread in every direction. Have you ever had ivy? You ever have a vine on your wall? You ever have a weed? It starts out small. You get a good Florida rain, and the next thing you know, a couple weeks later, the thing is covering your whole wall. It's growing through cracks and around the fence and over the thing, and it's unbelievable how quickly it spreads. So says the Sfarno, that's what the Pasuk means. So Rashi says, Poras is from the Aramaic, Chain. Yosef was a charming, handsome, confident man. Sfarno says, no, it comes from a vine which is spreading. Anaf shogefen puria. What's the illusion? Why the metaphor of a vine which is spreading? Because when the vine spreads everywhere, it provides shade. It provides shade. It was in the shade that Yosef provided that his father Yaakov and his brothers lived in Egypt. So here we have a machlokas between Rashi and the Sforno, what the Pasuk means, what is the reference, the bracha to Yosef. Right? Again, it's, it's a totally different way of understanding a bracha. Yaakov isn't so much as giving a bracha to Yosef as he is pointing out his gifts. Yosef, you're gifted. You're charming. You have chain. You have good looks. You have confidence. You have smarts. You have leadership skills. Right? That's the greatest bracha a parent can give. It's not so much to say to him, you should have parnas and gezunt and nachas from the kinder. And the, right? That's not the bracha we see in Vayechi. The bracha is, Yosef, let me tell you what I see in you and therefore the responsibility that it gives you. The onus that it places on you because of the gifts that you have. So Rashi says, what's the gift? Chain. Sforno says, what's the gift? That you're able to provide shade. You're a leader who's able to provide shade and shelter to other people. Ben Poras Aliyayin says the Sforno. In Yano Hayakinian Anaf Shor Gefen Poriyah Samach LeMaayan Shei Poras Megidalas Banos Shein Anafim. It's not meant to be taken literally, says the Sforno, that the young women climbed the wall to see him. It means that um, that like the leaves and like the spreading, the women are climbing the walls. The imagery of these leaves of the ivy, which is spreading everywhere, which is providing even more shade and even more and even more shelter. And the Sforno carries this metaphor all the way, all the way through. Um, the Balaturim of Yaakov ben Asher. He writes, Pasuk Chavbeis, Ben Poras Yosef, Lo hizkiru bishmo, Why doesn't he just refer to him as Yosef? With the others, he begins every other one with the name. Right? He starts with Ruvain, and he says, right, let's get an example, whatever. Ruvain, Shimon Levi, Yehuda, Don Yadin Amo, and God Good Gedud Yegudenu, Measher Shmina Lachmo. And here with Yosef, he gives a title. He doesn't say Yosef, he says Ben Poras Yosef. Why does he give him a title? It says the Balaturim, this is a very important message. He gives Yosef a title. Because he has respect, even though it's his son, he nevertheless calls him by the title because of the covered malchus. You have to have respect 
for the position of king. This is something consistent that you see throughout Tanakh, by the way, that there's a notion of covered malchus. Even when you don't respect or admire the person who happens to hold the seat, if the seat demands respect, you have to speak with respect. Moshe and Aaron go to Paro. There's not a more nefarious person in the Torah than Paro. A more evil, evil person. Paro is the, the precursor to Hitler. The genocide that Paro perpetrated. And yet, Rashi goes out of his way to tell us that when Moshe and Aaron go to Paro, they speak to him with deference, they speak to him with respect, not because they think Paro deserves it as the individual, but the position of power deserves it. And the moment that we denigrate the position of power, the moment we denigrate the office, then we lose respect for authority, then we lose respect for Hashem, then our entire system of respect goes down the, goes down the drain. My parents are... It's okay, you can still call me Ephraim. You don't have to call me Rabbi. just want to clarify. You don't, you don't have to call me Rabbi. I'm Moichel. I'm Moichel. But anyway, so here Yaakov calls Yosef not by his name in a casual way because he realizes even though he's giving a bracha to his little Yosef, to his son, his little Yosef is now the viceroy of Egypt. So he doesn't call him little Yosef. He calls him Ben Poras Yosef. This is the interpretation of the Baal Turim. The Baal Turim goes on and he says... Ben Paras is Bigamatria, Menasha Ephraim. We know that Yosef doesn't get a chilek. Yosef gets knocked out of the 12 tribes, which is a tremendous irony to the story, right? Yosef, who everyone's going to bow down to, isn't even counted among the 12 tribes. There's no Yosef portion in Eretz Yisrael. Rather, who's elevated to take the place of Yosef? Menasha Ephraim, Kiruven, Veshimon, Yuli. They are, when you list the tribes, depending on how you organize the list, but when you list the tithes, at least in terms of the territory in Israel, it's Ephraim and Manasseh who have territory, not Yosef. Right? There's a tremendous irony that Yosef, the favorite child, Yosef, the dreamer of people bowing down, doesn't even, is not memorialized by having a portion in the land. It's through Ephraim and Manasseh. So says the Balaturim, this Ben Poras, what's Yosef's greatest success? What's his greatest gift? Ephraim and Manasseh, Ben Poras, Ephraim and Manasseh, equal in Gematria. I bad news for you, the clock is broken. So I'm just going to go maybe till we end the fast. We'll, we'll keep going. We'll go straight. Normally I see that clock is like, you know, sits on my, on my neck the whole shir, but the clock's broken, so. Baruch Hashem. So the Baal Turim says also, the word Poras, the word Poras, if you take the same letters, letters and you spell it a little bit differently, Osios Paros Ben Paras is Ben Paros. You, Yosef, you know how you got to this position of power? You can thank those cows. That dream about the cows, that's interpreting your power's dream, is what landed Yosef in the position that he now holds. So the Baal Turim tells us these illusions, whether through gematria or rearranging the spelling and, and so on. The Kliyakar has another interpretation. Says the Kliyakar, Amr Yaakov, Ki Yosef mitzaratzmahu ben poras, lashon piria verivia. Another interpretation is that Yosef is the catalyst of explosive growth. Yosef is like, what's the ingredient you put in things and it grows a lot? Germinates? Yeast. Is it yeast? That makes things rise. Okay, Yosef is the yeast of Egypt. Piria verivia, right? Poras. And you can see that. The root of the word poras is like pururavu, the obligation to promulgate, to have children. Yosef, piria verivia. Ki Yosef, and that's Yosef's name itself, says the Kliyakar. What does the word Yosef mean? Lehosif is to add on. Lehosif is to gather. Lehosif is to add on, is to expand. Ki Yosef lashon hosafa, kemo Yosef alechem kachem elaf pa'amim. V'yamar ben poras alei ayin mitzad shu ba'chein al-derech shenemar noseis chein be'ene koro'eha al-kein yeh alei ayin So Yosef is the source of tremendous growth the source of explosive progress Piria verivia ben poras Yosef Wow! Look what you've done Alei ayin you have such chein that you have this magnetic personality when you walk into a room, Yosef, Yaakov's telling him, you own that room. And that's tremendous responsibility that you have that character trait. 
Shein, and here's where we get, you ready? Shein ayin hara sholeit b'mishanu sachein b'enei korav. And Yosef, the chain that you have, right? Because how do you reconcile the two things? On the one hand, Yosef, you're the viceroy of Egypt. You have access to power and to wealth. You are a powerful person. And yet, and yet, you've not attracted an eye in horror. People aren't jealous of you. They're not gunning for you. They're not speaking about you. They're not imposing their eye in horror on you. So how does Yosef get away with that? Answers the Kliyakar, because Ben Poras Yosef, yes, you are responsible for Piria Verivia. Yosef, you have been Mosif, you add and you progress and you explosive growth. Yes, you are the hedge fund king of Egypt. But, Aleayin, you have Chain. And the Chain is what wins over everyone around you so that no one is jealous of you and no one's gunning for you. Ain Ayin Harasholi. And here's the thing. Here's the miracle, says the Kliyakar. Here's the amazing trick that Yosef does. The women are clamoring over him. They're climbing the wall to get a glimpse of him. He, despite the women all going after him, you'd think it would paint a target on his chest to be a victim of Ayin Hara. And yet, he escapes it. Normally, wherever you see wealth, with children, with money, with cars, with talent, wherever you see wealth, that's as biyoser, ayin hara matsui. That's where you find ayin hara. People are not jealous of the guy on Tom Chishabas. People are not jealous of those struggling with infertility. They're not jealous of the person who's unemployed. They're not jealous. Of whom are we jealous? The people who are exploding with success. So here Yosef is the poster child of success, and yet he's not vulnerable to Ayin Hara. Yosef Ben Poras, Halalu. What was the bracha he gave to Ephraim and Menasha? What does Vyidgularov mean? May you populate like a fish. I guess fish have a lot of children. So, may you populate like a fish, but be care of hearts here on dry land. So on the one hand, Ephraim and Menashe got the bracha of fertility. May you have lots and lots and lots of children. Give me lots and lots and lots of enoklach, said Yaakov too, to uh, Ephraim and Menashe. So to Yosef too, he's the beneficiary of that bracha. So, Ben Paras May you be the product of Piria Verivia. May you be the beneficiary of explosive growth and wealth and success. But may your chain protect you from the ayin hara that normally results from that success. And once Yaakov mentions Ayin Hara, that these women are clamoring for Yosef, and that he's got money, and he's got power, and he's got good looks, and he's got charm, and yet he's not, he's not uh, vulnerable to Ayin Hara. Yaakov continues along the theme, says the Kliyakar. So now the Kliyakar is explaining it all. Ben Paras Yosef. You are the Ben, you're the child of success, of Poras, of Piri Verivia. Ben Paras Alayayan. And despite that, you've been protected from Alayayan from Ayan Hara. Women are clamoring. Vayimararu Varobu. Your brothers were bitter and they were out to get you. And even they couldn't get you with their Ayan Hara, says Yaakov. Your brothers were jealous and they placed their eye. It's like a bow. They were trying to kill you with an arrow. When Yosef is first approaching in Shechem, when Yaakov sends him, and the brothers see him off in the distance, and they say, let's kill him. Says the Kliyakar, well, why did the Torah tell us that he was at a distance when they say, let's kill him? Clearly, how are they planning on killing him? With a bow and arrow. With an arrow. And that's the reference here from Yaakov of Baalei Chitzim, those who had the arrows. 
So in other words, you, Yosef, are the poster child of success. And it should have brought upon you, your downfall should have been through Ayin Hara. And in fact, your brothers, Vayimaru, they were bitter. And they ganged up against you, the Baal Echitzim. But they were not successful. They were not successful. You spread like an arrow that shot in the air. You spread Lashon Hara about them. They wanted to get back to you with an arrow. And so on. You could read the rest of it on your own, but that's how the Kriyakar. So we saw Rashi, we saw the Sforno, we saw the Kliyakar are all interpreting Yaakov's Bracha to Yosef differently, but all stem around the chain that distinguished that distinguished Yaakov. Now it's interesting, come back to this idea of of Ayin um, Hara. Come back to this idea of Ayin Hara. What does it mean that Yaakov is protected from Ayin Hara? This is the bracha. He has chain Ben Paras Yosef Ben Paras Alei Ayin. So the Gemara tells us something astounding. Gemara and Brachos Daf Nun Hey. Pasach Yidach Va'Amar. And Amora began and he said the following. Listen carefully, especially if you're believing this uh, superstition nonsense. Haiman Da'ayol Lamasa. He who is traveling to a city. This is not nonsense, obviously the Gemara. I was contrasting it with the non-Talmudic nonsense that some people follow. Like a red string. Haiman Da'ayol Lamasa. He who is traveling to a city. V'dachomein Bisha. And you're worried, Eine Bisha is another way of saying, you're worried about Ayanara. You're going on vacation, you're taking a trip, and you're worried you are going to be the victim of Ayanara. What should you do, says the Gemara? This is not a, you know, a Kabbalist, a Hibijibi, someone asking for your money. This is the Gemara. Dabrachos dafnonei. Linkot's kafa diyadadimane. Take the thumb of your right hand and place it in your left hand. So you place your thumbs in the opposite hand. Hold them together. You do that and you say the following. I come from the progeny, I descend from Yosef. And Yosef was not vulnerable to Ayin Hara. Shinemar ben poras Yosef ben poras alei ayin. Al tikrei alei ayin. Don't read it as alei ayin. Ela ole ayin. Rising ola, rising over, transcending the impact of the evil eye. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Chanina, Amar Meyach, he says, no, 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 do the whole thumb trick, but say something different. V'yid gularov, b'kerev ha'aretz, ma'adagim shebiyam ma'ayin machasam aleyem, v'ein ayin roshuletes bahem, Fish live in the water where you can't easily see them. They're protected by the cover of the water. Af zarosha Yosef ain ayin rosha letis bahem. So to the descendants of Yosef, the ayin hara cannot have its impact. So the Gemara here in Brachos tells you here's the secret. You're nervous? It's not a red bendel, and it's not uh, saying the CBGB thing, and it's not a key in the chala, and it's not a this, not a... Says the Gemara, you're nervous about ayin hara? It's a very simple thing. All you have to do is identify as the offspring of Yosef HaTzadik. And if you identify as a descendant of Yosef HaTzadik, you're good to go. In fact, the Gemara Bar tells a story. Bar Metziah paid out. Don't try this at home, particularly recently. But Rabbi Yochanan, the Gemara tells us, Rabbi Yochanan was a particularly handsome man. So what would he do? He would sit next to the entrance to the woman's mikvah. Omar, Kisalkan, Kisalkan Benos Yisrael, Again, Kisalkan Benos Yisrael Vaasyan Mitvila, when the women would emerge and come out, Mistakran B, they're going to look at me. And they will have children as beautiful as I. That we believe that the image that they will carry, now of course the commentators will explain, they're not talking about his good looks, they're talking about his righteousness, he's a tzaddik. If you hope and pray and have the thoughts and the image of a tzaddik, when you are conceiving a child, those thoughts that you're having and the hope and the dream and the aspiration of a tzaddik, so we believe that that somehow will make its way into the DNA that is being formed. So Rabbi Yochanan said he would plant himself 
outside the mikvah, and when women would exit, they would see that righteousness, that uh, that hadras panim, and they would therefore that would impact the righteousness of their child. I'm not pretending to know or explain how exactly that happens, but for our purposes, <coughs> and for our purposes, here's here's why I'm telling it to you. Because the Gemara says, Amr Rabbanan, his friend said to him, Rabbi Yochanan. They didn't say to him, what are you crazy? You know, what if the internet finds out? What they said was, what are you crazy? Aren't you worried about Ayin Hara? Everybody's going to walk by and say, oh, there's the Tzadik Rabbi Yochanan. There's the good-looking Rabbi Yochanan. There's the Rabbi Yochanan with Chayin. Aren't you worried? So what does Rabbi Yochanan answer? Nah, me? I'm not worried. Why would I worry? I descend from Yosef. I am protected. Ayin Hara can't touch me. Ben Poras Yosef, Ben Poras Ali Ayin. The Gemara again quotes that entire, that entire conversation. We have, the, uh, we have Gemaras all over that quote the same thing. There's a Gemara in Baba Basra similarly, in Baba Metzi, in Sanhedrin. Lots of Gemaras that deal with this question of, of Ayin Hara. A very real factor. This is not a sheer in Ayin Hara. They've given such a sheer in the past. Might even be online. I don't remember if we recorded it. There's a lot of Gemaras and how do you reconcile all the ideas about Ayin Hara. But I want it for the purposes of our standing Parshas Vayechi. What's going on over here? What's the secret? The Kliyakar says, Yosef finds the magic. On the one end, he's got great success. Success usually is a magnet. It draws attention. It's a lightning rod for Ayin Hara. And yet Yosef is impervious to Ayin Hara. What is Ayin Hara? What is Ayin Hara? And has Yosef able to rise above it? So Rabbi Salavechik in the uh, in the Rav Chumash says the following. Rice Rashi cites a Madrashic explanation for the phrase that the Ayin Hara will not affect Yosef's offspring. Many people live their lives based on what others think of them. They rejoice when they hear how others appreciate them, how their accomplishments and ideas are praised. But when they're criticized or ridiculed, they completely lose their self-confidence. They have received an Ayin Hara. Those who live with such insecurity quickly reach a state of depression. Their psyche is damaged. Their efforts will inevitably lead to failure. Creativity in any activity requires self-confidence and belief in one's own abilities. Had Yosef been overly concerned about his brother's opinion, he could not have become the great dreamer that he was. Although his brothers ridiculed him, he did not lose his self-confidence and did not stop dreaming. His brother's Ayin Hara did not affect him. It's a very rationalistic interpretation of Ayin Hara. Very consistent with what you'd expect from the Rav. Ayin Hara is not some evil eye, hebejibi, Chams is not going to help you, the red string is not going to help you. The Rav is interpreting what's an Ayin Hara. It means that if you allow your self-worth to be defined by the opinions of others, then it's nice, you can ride that when it's praise. But what happens when it's criticism? Their Ayin Hara, their evil judgmental eye, will knock you right out of your self-esteem, your self-confidence, your self-worth. And if you have no self-esteem and you have no self-confidence, you will have a self-fulfilled prophecy, you will lead to your own failures in life. And what does it mean to say, Yosef transcended the Ayin Hara, and if we identify as the offspring of Yosef, we can too. It means that Yosef could have had his dreams, shared them with his brothers, his brothers ridiculed him, knocked him down, and if I were Yosef, I might have never shared a dream again. I might have said, I'm done with the dreams, it's humiliating, it's embarrassing, it's humbling, I'm not telling anyone my dreams. But Yosef does not allow his brother's ridicule to impact his self-worth or self-confidence. He doesn't stop for a moment to pursue those dreams. You know, when I meet successful business people or entrepreneurs, often the difference between them and those who failed is that they have the courage to go through and to go forward and they don't listen to the negativity that surrounds them. They don't listen to the people who tell them they have no chance and they have no shot and they can't get it done. They have blinders on and they're focused and they are not allowing their dreams to be shattered by the opinions or the negativity or the criticisms of others. So that's the interpretation of Rabbi Soloveitchik. That the Ayin Hara that Yosef um, transcended was the criticism and the ridicule of the brothers that he didn't allow his self-worth to become defined by it. The uh, Sefer, uh, Nesiva Shalom, the Slonim Rebbe, Zatzal, and his Nesiva Shalom has another interpretation. He quotes the Medrash. 
that Rashi alluded to, that the young women would find a place to see Yosef as he passed by. He was so good looking. The Medrash even elaborates on Rashi. And the Medrash, at least the way the Islam Rabbi quotes it, says the women would throw their jewelry. They would try to get his attention. They wanted a selfie with him. But he never did. Yosef would walk down the streets of Egypt with women throwing things at him, trying to get his attention. And he didn't look up. He didn't catch their eye. He wasn't tempted for a moment. And Yaakov is praising Yosef for this midah, alayayin, olayayin, that Yosef never put his eye on that which he shouldn't have been looking at. Now, let me ask you a question, ask Islam Rebbe. If you're going to praise Yosef, what's going to be the bigger praise? For the fact that he was able to walk down the street and not look at the women hitting on him? Or what other episode in his life distinguished him for even more self-control and greatness? It was the episode with Aishas Potiphar. So, if Yaakov's going to praise Yosef for his self-control, why not praise him for, oh, my Yosef, your mama should tzaddik. This woman was throwing herself at you. She orchestrated everything in the house to have an empty house. She seduced you. She was throwing herself at you. And you, Vayana Sachusa, you ran out. You displayed superhuman self-control. Why does Yaakov choose that he walked down the street and didn't look at the women he shouldn't have looked at over the fact that a woman literally threw herself at him and he was able to overcome that, that temptation? So the Salaam Rebbe says the following insight. Gemara says that that the eye sees and the heart desires and then the body sins. That's the way the human psyche is made up. Our eyes see something, could be the chocolate cake, it could be an attractive person. It could be the eye sees, then the heart yearns, and then the body makes the mistake. So what is the gateway to the person? What is that first step if one wants to be disciplined and have the self-control? Says the Salaam Rebbe, it's the eyes. If a person guards their eyes and doesn't look at what's not theirs, what's not for them, what's not appropriate, that will protect the heart from desiring, which will protect the body from chasing. So what's the source of Kedusha? It's not just when the body has self-control, nor is it protecting the heart from desiring. The first step, the gateway to Kedusha, is protecting the, the eye. So that's the praise that Yaakov is giving to Yosef. Aleayin. Yosef, my little Yosef, you have this chain. You can have anyone you want. They're throwing themselves at you. But you don't look at what you shouldn't be looking at, which protects you from not having the temptation, which protects you from not pursuing it. Lastly, I'll tell you, ooh, I'm so over. Oi! I'm sorry, Rabbi Moskowitz. Lastly, let me end with this, even though there was so much more to say, as always. The Shemana Tov, say for Shemana Tov, has a great interpretation. And he says, I don't understand. How could you, the Gemara gave this recommendation, you're worried about Ayin Hara? How could the Gemara give the recommendation just say that you're a child of Yosef. What if you don't descend from Yosef? If you're a Kohen or a Levi, you know you don't descend from Yosef. So Kohanim and Leviim are all vulnerable to Ayin Hara? So says the Shemanatov, Rav Weinberger, no, anybody can say that they descend from Yosef. It doesn't mean you biologically, genetically descend from Yosef. It means that you spiritually identify with and descend from Yosef. And what's the idea? The idea, he says, is that Yosef never looked at what wasn't his. Eino shal Yosef, eino zan, einav, b'shel acherim. Havei tov be'etzem. Ve'eino yachol esparnis b'mashel o'shayach lo. Alkein lo shaltabei, gamkein ayin she'eino tov be'hechlet. Since he only had a good eye and looked at things in a way where he was happy for someone else to have what was theirs, and he never wanted it for himself, he had the capacity to protect his eye. He had a good eye in Ayin Tov. Therefore, he was not vulnerable to someone else's Ayin Ra. V'lo dafke Yosef, elo dekola ochez b'midas Yosef. Ve'eno zan eno b'mashe eno shalo, nikra mizara de Yosef. Z'lo gamra b'yochan elo yada b'biradu mishifto shal Yosef. El de nikra zara shal Yosef b'ada ochez b'midaso. So if you want to protect yourself from Ayin Hara, the answer is ben poras Yosef, ben poras ali Ayin. The answer is, like Yosef, don't look at what's not yours. Don't be jealous of what other people have. Don't be tempted by. Don't be desirous. Don't covet. Don't incite your or provoke your sense of, of desire or lust. Protect your eye and you will be protected from the eyes of others. If you understand uh, uh, Ayin Hara to mean 
that other people, when they express jealousy towards me, it invokes or provokes God to evaluate me. In other words, your neighbor says, sees your shiny new car that you've been flaunting and showing off and telling him or her all about. Now the neighbor says, Rebona Shalom. Why do they deserve that? I go to Minyan every day. He doesn't even go to Minyan. He gets the new shiny car. You know what happens? The Rebona Shalom says, You know what, Taka, bring me his file. I didn't realize he wasn't going to Minyan. I've been overlooking that because I'm a Kel Rachamim. I'm a good, kind God. So I've been overlooking that. But you know what, Taka, if he's going to be so flashy and he's going to attract everyone's attention and he's going to get all of them to be jealous, bring me his file. Let me see how he's doing and whether he's deserving of that shiny new car. That's how Rav Desler understands Ayin Hara. It's not working through heebie-jeebie magic superstition. The way it works is we should fly under the radar. Whatever goodness and kindness and blessing God's giving us, don't encourage him to evaluate whether you really deserve it. Fly under the radar. Enjoy it privately. Enjoy it modestly. Don't flaunt it. And don't invite everyone else to... In other words, Rav Dessler essentially says, you know what Ayin Hara is? It's a form of tefillah. When the person is jealous of you, they're davening to Hashem, why do they deserve it, not me? And Hashem hears their tefillah. He hears their prayer and he says, you know, Taka, it's a good point. Let me check out her, her folder. Bring me a file. So how are we protected to be like Yosef? Don't put your eye on anyone else, on that which is not yours, and that which tempts you. Focus on what you have. See it as a blessing. Live under the radar. And then Amir Hashem, we will all be protected from Ayin Hara. Have a meaningful rest of the fast and a good day.